This podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. The scripture reading today is from various verses from Proverbs and other places. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, in any of your towns without, within your land that is the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. There is one who scatters, yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which, uh, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is the word of God. We're continuing in our study of the wisdom literature in the Bible, in our series Ancient Wisdom, Modern Times. And we're discovering the timeless truths that guide us in our daily lives through acquiring wisdom that helps us know what to do in any given situation. The last time we saw the call to diligence in Proverbs, we saw the benefits of diligence, the most obvious of which is wealth that builds over time, and the added benefits of a good reputation and greater personal freedom. 
We also saw the motive for diligence is not primarily to secure those benefits. The godly motive for diligence is love. Love of God, love of family, love of the church, love of the community. And we learn that the reward for diligence is not ultimately those benefits either. But at the most fundamental level, it is the satisfaction that we have when we are living life the way God has designed it to be lived. And as it says in Proverbs 13:4, the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So today's topic from Proverbs flows naturally from last week's topic of diligence. Our topic today is generosity. Diligence is the precursor to generosity. Just as day inevitably follows night, generosity follows godly diligence. And we saw the greatest example of someone that is diligent and generous last week, um, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. So I want to go back and, and look at her for a minute again. It says in verse 19, she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. So first of all, anybody know what a distaff and a spindle is? You know, most modern people really don't know um, what those are. Those are tools used to spin yarn. And look at this depiction of an ancient Greek woman with her distaff and spindle. These tools became synonymous with womanhood. In the Middle Ages, the female side of the family was called the distaff side. You ever heard that? And the male side, the male line, was known as the spear side because they went out to war. So I found this cool illustration from a manuscript of that era. It shows a woman jousting with a man, but her spear is a distaff. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <clears throat> so now that we know what a distaff and spindle are, let's go back and look at our verse again. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. In the next line, she extends her hands to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. Now these aren't simply two separate characteristics of the virtuous woman. The two lines here are designed to form a single unit of thought. There's a lot of stylistic aspects of Hebrew poetry that enhance the art form. And these verses use the form known as a chiasm. Chiasms either repeat or juxtapose ideas in a crisscross manner, and they get our attention, and they point to, to something important. So we saw this back, way back when we were studying the Psalms. Uh, many of the Psalms are elaborate chiasms. And so just a refresher on how these work. Um, here's a chiasm. Comes from the letter chi or key, the Greek letter. It's an X, and these verses are kind of X-shaped, as you can see. Uh, this is this one's from Jesus Himself in Matthew six twenty-four. 
See how the top line and the bottom line correspond? No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't know. It's probably a little hard to see that, though, huh? Um, and the next two lines that are in a little bit, they use the synonyms hate and despise. And then the middle two lines drive home the point that love and devotion can't be shared between God and money. So now look at our verse from Proverbs 31 and see how it's laid out. The hands that stretch out to grab the distaff are the same hands that stretch out to help the needy. And then the hand that grasps the spindle is the same hand that opens to the poor. Because she has been diligent in her spinning, she can now be generous. In other words, her work is inseparable from her generosity. So today I want to look at what generosity is and what it's not and then give some examples of generosity from the scripture. So what it is, first of all, we need to define generosity from a biblical perspective. And we find that generosity is a command in the Old Testament law. Look at Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Do you see it? You shall open your hand to the poor. That's a command. And that's just what the virtuous woman does. And it's not a mechanical work. It's not simply rule-keeping. It requires the right motive. Don't harden your heart, it says. And in the New Testament, this is no longer a commandment. It's voluntary. Here's the Apostle Paul in soliciting donations for the needy believers in Jerusalem. In 2 Corinthians 9-7, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's greater freedom in giving in the New Testament for the New Testament believer, but it's still a matter of the heart. That didn't change. So what generosity is, is giving to those in need out of a heart of compassion. There's a lot of verses in Proverbs that contrast the kind of person who's generous with those who are not. So let's look at some of the things that generosity is not. God highly values generosity, and he severely condemns the lack of it. So here's just a few verses. Um, Proverbs 11, 18. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. You know, people who are only out for their selfish gain are buying a lie. The ungenerous man thinks that he's getting what he wants, but it's going to bring disaster on him in the long run. 
Remember in 1 Timothy, we're told that the love of money is a root of every kind of evil. And then it says, some people eager for gain, for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They're after satisfaction, but they get grief. The generous man sows his wealth and he gets a guaranteed reward from the Lord. Here's another one. <clears throat> Proverbs 11:26. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. So this is a picture of a speculator who hopes to cash in on rising prices. He's going to hold it back and let the price rise higher before he sells it. And that might be a prudent business strategy, but here it affects people's lives. People will go hungry if he doesn't make his grain available. And his decision brings a curse on him. And it's not just the people cussing him out. This is a spiritual condemnation. Look at Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-seven: Whoever gives to the poor will not want but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. This is a sin issue. This is a man who has a hard heart, both toward God and his fellow man. He hides his eyes. He looks away from the needy. 14.21 says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is the one, is he who is generous to the poor. The Hebrew word despise here doesn't mean active hatred. It means complete disregard. It means that he doesn't give his neighbor any more thought than he does a fly lighting on his hand and brushing it off. God curses such a sinful man. So, there are those who don't give anything at all, but there are also those who give wrongly. And uh, here's a guy from Proverbs who appears to be generous, but is really stingy. Proverbs 26, or 23, 6 through 8. Do not eat the, man, the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat, drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. There's that heart issue again. His heart is not with you. There are a lot of people who give money for bad reasons. They do it to secure God's favor through good works. They do it for reputation's sake. They do it because they think that's the culturally proper thing to do. And they do it to get power. But none of this is true generosity because their hearts aren't open to people. They're using people for their own selfish purposes. And there's been a lot of famous criminals who've used this phony generosity to advance their criminal empires. Al Capone was famous for this. Uh, here he is with a big stogie. He did a lot of philanthropic giving in Chicago. 
in order to gain the approval of the people. He started a program that provided daily milk to Chicago school children. And during the Great Depression, he opened up a bunch of soup kitchens for the poor and the homeless. Yet his bootlegging and prostitution and gambling businesses, they hurt the poor much more than the middle class or the wealthy. Another guy closer to home was Joe Conforti. He was the owner of the Mustang Ranch, and again, with the cigar. After he built that brothel, he bought a bunch of trailers and rented them out cheaply to people in the area. And every year at Thanksgiving, he would go personally to their homes, and he would give them a turkey, and along with the turkey, he would give them a list of the county commissioners that he was going to vote for. I heard one time that he marched into the Calvary Baptist Church in Reno and put a big wad of cash in the offering plate. This is pure cynicism. This is not generosity. And another reason that people give is because they think it's going to pay off for them in the long run. This is the lure of the prosperity gospel from preachers like Benny Hinn. I thought Benny needed a cigar too, so I pasted one in there. (laughs) Benny promises that you can get out of debt if you sow seeds of dollars into his pockets. This approach was made popular by Oral Roberts and has become the standard language of prosperity gospel preachers. This was the belief of Costi Hen the nephew of Benny Hinn. He thought that by giving to God, God would be obligated to give him back what he wanted, and he wanted to be a professional baseball player. But that was giving in order to get. And Costi has since repudiated that false doctrine, and he preaches against it today. So where do they get this? They get it from twisting the meaning of scriptures. Scriptures like this proverb. There is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. The word scatter here is the term for sowing seed. And it's the natural order of things. You plant seeds, and they grow, and they produce more. They produce more of the same thing. So here's a couple more Proverbs along these lines. 11.25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. And then 19.17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And the New Testament also uses this sowing imagery. We mentioned 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul's asking the Corinthian church to give financially to the needs of some poor saints. And he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. All of these verses, they seem to indicate that the more you give, the more you'll get. But let's take a deeper look at that Corinthian passage. Verse 6. 
Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Notice that this is again a heart matter, a cheerful heart, not compulsory, not in compliance with a rigid law. If you do it out of compulsion, it is not generosity. And what is being reaped here? Money? No, grace. Grace is being reaped. Generosity opens the door for greater grace in our lives. It's a catalyst for spiritual growth. And good works are the fruit of that catalyst. He continues in verse 9. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Well, what's that about? Paul is quoting Psalm 112 here, which is a poem about a guy who, among other things, is very generous. He, then, is our first example of generosity. Now, we've seen the generosity of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. Now we have to go to the Psalms to get a picture of her counterpart, the righteous man. This is a wisdom psalm, and therefore it bears strong resemblance to the Proverbs that we've been considering. It's also a chiasm. It has the chiastic structure. And at the very center of this poem is the idea of generosity. This psalm illustrates the connection between wisdom and the fear of God, righteousness and the blessings of God, and the generosity that flows from them. Let's read it. Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offering will be his offspring will be mighty in the land, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. So first and foremost, the generous man is the man who fears the Lord. And then he is blessed with family and influence in the community. Verse three Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. And the word that I I want to focus on here is gracious. It means to be sensitive to those in need. Generosity is not just about giving money. People have all kinds of needs. And the generous person gives himself to meet those needs. And now we come to the center of the poem, verse 5. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. That reminds me of that old hymn, It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. 
So no matter the storms in life, if you're a generous soul, your soul is well. This is the reward for generosity, not material things. So here we see that generosity is tied to the idea of justice. There's a lot of people out there in the world today calling for social justice. And many of them want to force people to be generous. And forced generosity is not generosity at all. Remember, God loves a cheerful giver. He does not want us to give out of compulsion. Real change towards social justice in our culture can only come through the transformation of hearts, not through coercive legislation. We don't need a revolution. We need a revival. We have plenty of laws already on the books that prohibit injustice, but they're worthless unless people have a heart to obey them. This man is going to do the right thing. No matter what, he will not be ruled by fear or intimidation. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He's firm. He's steady. And in the end, he's going to win. And once the evidence of his faith, um, and once again, the evidence of his faith is his generosity. It says in verse 9, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The, the desire of the wicked will perish. Those who shine God's light through their generosity in this world will be opposed by the world, but they will be vindicated in the end. Now that was a general description of a righteous and generous man. In the book of Luke, we have a specific example. You know the story the wee little man in the tree. Here's another illustration from a medieval Bible. Can you even see him? He's up there in the tree. He's about half the size of everybody else. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a tax collector who extorted money from his own people until the day he met Jesus. In Luke 19, it says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. When anybody truly meets and believes in Jesus, they are irrevocably transformed. 
This encounter with Jesus radically changed Zacchaeus from a stingy, dishonest, greedy guy to a man who was generous. And the people were right. He was a sinner, but Jesus came to save lost sinners. And the result was instantaneous. He immediately became convicted of his old lifestyle and pledged to give half of his money to the poor and more than pay back the people that he ripped off. Pastor Kent Hughes of the College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, said it this way, There's no such thing as a Christian Scrooge. (laughs) He went on to say, We may know some Scrooges who claim to be Christians, but I don't think you can claim to really know Christ and be a stingy person. The gospel opens our soul, and with it, our hands. Generosity is one of the evidences that we have new life in Christ. And one of the reasons that we take up an offering every week is to express our generosity. And we try to remind you regularly of our missions giving, much of which supports ministry to the poor and those in extreme need. And Samaritan's Purse is the most involved in that kind of thing. And I'm very proud of the generosity of this church in those areas of missions, but also just in the day-to-day encounters that I've witnessed you being generous. So let's pray together that God would give us even greater opportunities to shine his glory through our generosity. And he'll do it if we ask. And he will be the one to be glorified in the process. That's the promise that we're given back in that 2 Corinthians 9 passage that we were just reading. It says in verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Those who have a heart to give will be given the means to give. And the goal of it all is God's glory. I want to conclude with the greatest of all examples of generosity. It's also found in the context of Paul's plea for generosity to those Corinthian believers. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 through 9, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What's he talking about? He's talking about giving this offering, this act of grace. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace, same word, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus provides the ultimate example of generosity. He was rich. He was the second member of the Trinity in heaven. And he owned everything. And he gave it all up. 
He emptied himself and he became a servant. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to lay his head. And he did it in order to bring us the good news of his salvation. Generosity is a part of God's nature. He desires to give to anyone who will acknowledge their need the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. And if you've not yet received that gift, then do it today. And if you have, generously pass it on to others. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you that you are a generous God. And Lord, that you transform your people into generous people. Father, continue to give us the means in order to bless the world around us, to bless them in your name. And Father, we thank you that we will receive the gift of righteousness, that we will receive the gift of knowing that your work is being done for your glory and that lives are being saved. So, Father, we give you ourselves and we ask that you use us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.